Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, VP of Business Development at KeyTech. Each month, me and the KeyTecher are going to interview a MedTech leader and talk to them about the critical data-driven decisions they make in their programs. Welcome back to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. This is episode 15 with Rachel Scott, Senior Electrical Engineer and Project Manager. Rachel, 15. welcome to the show. You guys have been busy. Yeah, 15, yeah. Is, is <laughs> Very exciting. The, what anniversary is this? Do I get silver, gold? What's the 15 year? I don't know. You're not near Her Majesty yeah. of the Platinum Jubilee, so you got okay. 55 more to go to get to Platinum. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <Got it. laughs> Again, thanks for uh, hopping on the show. Um, Rachel, you've been at Key Tech for, for a while now. Uh, you have, have a lot of lessons to learn, or lessons to share, I guess. And and also, you're a, you're a veteran of the podcast, so thanks again for coming back on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So so today we're we're talking about uh, the last episode or the theme from the last episode. So the last episode was with Revmedica, a startup company in in the New England area with a powered surgical stapler. You know, they have a pretty cool architecture, hybrid architecture where they have a powered, a battery powered sort of base and a disposable uh, stapler portion. It's pretty novel in that in that market. And I think the the common theme from that episode, in my opinion, was adding new func functionality to platforms that have been on the market, you know, for a while and trying to differentiate that way. So I thought you'd be a good guest to bring on the show to talk about some of your experience in that area. So, so let's just get right into it. Let's do it. You don't get functionality and sensing, you know, for free, right? So there's always this a question of how much more will buyers be willing to pay for this, this added functionality. So can you talk a little bit about your experience of dealing with the added cost that comes with with adding sensing, adding functionality, uh, and I think your experience primarily is on the, the disposable side, but I know you you've worked on you know durable and disposable architectures before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what they said in the the podcast is is rings true. You know, people want this functionality, but they don't really want to pay for it, and especially in kind of you know in a, a hospital kind of marketplace, you know, cost is often king. Like that is the driving factor for, you know, most people, especially in disposables where, you know, you make millions of these and that's, it's really hard to kind of see any cross increase, even like sense. Um, so when you're suddenly adding uh, sensing technology, which often requires, you know, processing and battery and, you know, PCBs and in, in like how you're connecting to your sensor, suddenly it's trying to keep it down is, is really, really challenging. So that's something, you know, that we, we have like I've worked on a couple of projects where you know we're trying to find really unique ways to keep costs low, um, and sometimes you know one in one application you know we really we ended up pursuing like uh, a, an implementation of a very simple technology, um, but like tried to kind of work it into a manufacturing process that already existed because every cent counted. So we were kind of, we worked up from all the things that already existed in the industry and tried to build a kind of new application around that sensor. Um, but the cool thing about like what, you know, Revmedica is doing and, and some of the flexibility that having a durable offers is it allows you to abstract, you know, some of your biggest cost players, which are often battery and processing and make that reusable, which gives you a lot more flexibility in the feature set you can offer something. Um, Cause you have that, you know, you have this box that is the instrument doesn't need to re be replaced. So you get a lot more freedom 
as it were, to kind of have, play around and have more functionality. Well, that, that's great. Yeah, I mean, there's always this question of, of what goes on the durable and what goes on the disposable. Um, yeah. It reminds me a lot of the a lot of the diagnostics market where you're trying to get that razor blade cost down really low. Um, but I thought what was interesting with with Revmedica is they were working backwards a little bit from, you know, the I mentioned the the hybrid architecture. So their competitors mm -hmm. had a purely disposable product, and um, you know there are, there are also some reusable platforms that have challenges with sterilization. So I just think it's interesting to kind of look at your competition look at the technologies that will enable added functionality and kind of try to fit your product in between in between your competition and and I think they're they're getting they're going to get there. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's a really smart way of kind of approaching that especially from kind of that that cost aspect and you know being able to see what your competitors have and you know where they might be limited by cost more of like by disposable cost or by functionality by you know not having these smarts kind of Bridging that gap allows them to try and meet the best of both worlds, which is, you know, is true in, in the cost market. Yeah. So I also think RevMedica did a really good job, you know, as they should, of really understanding their, their customers. They were part of the I-Corps program. And, you know, part of that is just doing surveys, you know, and, and just paper studies, really. Um, yeah. Not even building a prototype. Uh, we don't we don't talk enough about that, I think, here at KeyTech and even with our customers. Like, what what statistical data do you have from a survey that says, this feature is viable. Um, you, can, right. you can get that for a lot cheaper than building five prototypes and, and getting results that way. So clear there, but I, I thought it was interesting that you know when you're looking, and this is common across a lot of our, our customers that are adding functionality, when we ask them, you know, how does this fit or how are you improving the workflow? And the response was, we are not changing the workflow really, really at all. I mean, they are, you know, requiring some some wipe down and whatnot. So they're they're modifying it some, but I think just the general mantra of um, stick with the the workflow um, is an important one. So in your experience, you know, how has that sort of thinking of don't change the workflow, you know, driven some of the the product uh, product development you've done? It's a huge driver, especially in kind of some of the realm that you know RevMedica is in as well, and some of my experience there, you know hospitalists and clinicians are doing, you know, a thousand things a day and they really, you know, and a lot of them are little things that like still are so critical in patient safety and, you know, the way that you start to interact with those thousand little things. If you make even a few little changes, you're kind of disrupting this flow that, you know, people have gotten into for years and, you know, there's a reason that it, they work that way. So it can be a really hard challenge and we are regularly kind of faced with that dilemma of, you know, can't like we should not we're trying not to change it we're trying to but it does constrain you when you're trendly adding battery and smarts you know there are real app, like real changes to your workflow there so it is really about like how can you do that smartly in in one application that we worked on we did we we kind of investigated actually actively changing the workflow in order to like adding an actuator to a disposable that kind of forced them like they couldn't the, the user would no longer be able to access something critical without actuating this thing so it kind of forced them to take that step but there was a lot of you know challenges and we we appreciated that you know that battle we might be up against but what we found that that kind of method it did inherently improve the process but we didn't know that we like we we thought it might, but we had to do a lot of work to kind of justify that change. Um, and it was a small change. We're talking, you know, a button as opposed to just, you know, accessing something. So even something as small as that, 
you know, we had different reactions and we had to pay a lot of attention to how people interact with this device and what their workflows are. And that's different across people, positions, hospitals, it's all, it's, it's a whole world. So not changing it is sometimes, you know, a smoother approach, but it does constrain you. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to invest in a, in a company that says, oh, we're, we're changing the work, we're doubling the workflow, or, oh, all you have to do is rely on the, the clinician or nurse to, you know, twist these two knobs and all of a sudden your outcomes are improved 20%. Like you, you have to stick with what, what people know because they're going to try and shortcut you. Right. And then you, you have poor acceptance into the market or you have, it just, people don't do it. So, you know, they don't do the things that you've implemented. And so you just, you don't get the impact that you're hoping for. So it's a really, it's a really tough challenge. And especially with things like batteries, um, when you're adding smarts to disposables and to durables and really changing that process, like fundamentally a battery kind of forces a workflow change in some way. Or if like you're in a purely disposable, you're kind of thinking about like, how can I make it so the battery is not defining when the person throws this away or when the person has to do something because you don't want your battery to be defining that. But in like the durable world, kind of with what RevMedica is doing, you have to start thinking about like, okay, how do, like how often does my battery need to last for maybe a surgery or where does this charging station live and how does that disrupt the normal workflow of just throwing something away? So, you know, that part is like kind of its own separate workflow analysis. And sometimes that drives your battery decisions even more than the features. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit here. So, um, you know, talking about RevMedica, they're adding sensing, which is just specifically they're, they're sensing the thickness of the tissue. And then they're claiming to apply the stapler force as a function of that that tissue thickness, which is a novel um, is novel functionality for stapling platforms. Um, but you know, in your experience, you know, how have you uh, bounded a metric, you know, for 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 a feature um, where that hasn't existed before? Um, you know what I mean? Like, you're how do you know what's good enough? Yeah, that's that's the question we come up with every time. You know we are trying to add smarts to a platform or a, a technology that's existed in the market, you know, you're adding smarts, but these smarts haven't existed yet. So you're simultaneously collecting data and trying to use that data to help a, help a clinician make an informed statement, like give viable and helpful feedback. You know, no one wants to hear. So you suddenly you're, you're doing exactly what you said. It's really challenging. You're saying, okay, this force is applied, but how do you know that that force being applied is acceptable? Like that data doesn't exist previously. So it's a really hard challenge. And we've approached that by, you know, huge amounts of trying to get honestly kind of prototypes, just data collection prototypes on already existing units and just kind of measuring that data in, you know, in different ways, like getting it in the hands of users, getting it in the hands of just even just people to kind of doing that action and finding ways to assess that. But then kind of the other side of the coin is you do need a professional to assess whether or not they would have deemed that good enough because there is that qualitative element. A lot of the work, the things that these you know instruments are doing are qualitative in nature. Um, so it's kind of correlating those two. So you really need an expert to help you assess whether or not something was good enough. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about adding more and more sensors, you know, and, and I know you worked with a customer that um, clearly cost was was king and and the request was let's sense multiple um, parameters, I guess, with with one sensor, uh, you know, again, driven by cost. Can you talk about doing that or how, what you 
think what, what your thought process is when you're trying to define the right architecture with clear cost constraints, but trying to sense multiple things with one sensor. It was, a, I, say, I feel like I said the slide, it's, it was a real challenge, but it really is, um, I think, you know, kind of understanding where you are starting. And I think when you start with that technology exploration, it, it does feel a bit like, the world is my oyster. I have so many technologies that can do, that could accomplish this goal of the sensing goal, um, or kind of like the higher level, what you're trying to do, but where you start to really narrow in is what of that kind of breadth of technologies, pressure, optics, magnetics, RFID, you know, force, like it's just, there's so many, you know, ultrasound, there's just a myriad of sensing technologies, how you start to get really narrowed down and it's like which one of those can kind of cross into these other sensing goals that they might have so you know for example like you know maybe they want to know when a device maybe someone wants to know when a device is being used but then they also want to know something you know that it's done its job correctly so can you frame those questions into what what is actually happening when it does its job correctly? Is there a pressure change? Is there also like a physical optical barrier? Does like fluid leave? And so you could see a difference in that. And there's a lot of ways that like that higher level sensing goal can be kind of nitpicked down into different ways you could view it. And then you start to get this overlap and you start to see, okay, this technology is really only going to be really good at this one thing. And this technology is only really going to be good at this other thing. And then you start to find the one technology that might be good at all things, but you do start to have to assess your feature set um, when you're that cost constrained, because it's really hard to find one size fits all and does it reliably. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly there's, there's a lot of applications where just using cameras, for example, will sense a lot of things. Uh, but, you know, is that the right architecture for you know, your workflow for your cost model for your for your platform yeah yeah and then on the, the yeah. flip side of that i've also seen you may recall the genmark project we put a white paper out about using resistors that are used to sort of as part of pcr you can also use that for for temperature sensing and kind of like mm -hmm. dual mode sort of uh electrical components i guess is, is it is it was one way to do it there yeah and like one common thing that you know for just an example is like capacitive touch is something, you know, you see in every single iPhone it, you to detect that someone is using it, but you know, there's also very commonly for like liquid level detection. So kind of looking at how could you possibly interact that single sensing element to do very different tasks and that you can kind of apply that process to all the different te sensing technologies. So um, our audience is, is in the business of commercializing products. They're short on money, have a lot to do. RevMedica is no exception. And, yeah. and one of the themes from that, that last interview was needing to pivot um, once they started, you know, getting more market data and, and end user data. I guess what's been your experience with pivoting, you know, when have you had to pivot or a client has had to pivot? And, you know, what are you, what are you looking out for to help make those decisions? It's, it's really, yeah, what they kind of what they said resonated. And I, I know from working on a number of projects where you kind of you're trying to hit a prototype goal and you hit that prototype and then you kind of start to reassess um, where you want to go from there. It, it can be challenging to do that efficiently and, you know, cost effectively. But I think in my experience, you know, in order to get to a prototype, you, you have to make assumptions on date. You have to make assumptions at the beginning. You just don't have the luxury of having every bit of information or, you know, you're doing research and development for indefinitely and that just, you just don't have that luxury. So you have to make assumptions to hit 
to get to that prototype, to get to that milestone. And that's important. Like that milestone is important and will teach you a lot of stuff. So what happens often is you get to that milestone and you learn a ton. And sometimes often you learn that some of your original assumptions were not valid or they're not valid anymore or market requirements change or kind of as you're learning. And I think just being open to saying, okay, I've learned this you know, I've learned a ton and then really revisiting those assumptions, not continuing to kind of say, I will modify this prototype to fix those assumptions. At some point, your your device can be one of your biggest constraints. And I think that's when sometimes you feel like you've gone, you could have gone too far. And it, it's a really hard thing to make that assessment, but you've learned when you can often leverage that knowledge to kind of go in a different direction just as quickly as kind of improving that prototype. So it's about reassessing that. In my personal experience, I've done, you know, I've kind of, I really like to keep that open mind and in all projects, because I think it's important to get to the product that really is going to be effective. But one kind of specific example, you know, in this uh, disposable unit that we were working on, we had made an assumption at the beginning on this technology that we were going to use to implement very cheap sensing. And it was based on this idea that they already had this Sent this technology in manufacturing. It's used all over the place and it's used cheaply. But what we didn't recognize until we were going into, you know, feasibility prototyping and going down that line was that our very specific application of this was kind of first of its kind and that that came with a lot of risk. It was really just no one could give us the answers we needed because it had never been done before. And there was a lot of R&D that would have to go into it to, to get to a point where we felt confident. And I, I really do believe we would have gotten there with that same technology but you know after six months and prototyping and learning and getting this in the hands of users we found there was an alternate that was relatively inexpensive it, it was a new process to their manufacturing but it was not as expensive as we had thought it could be in the beginning so we did end up pivoting to kind of approaching it that way and i i think it was the right approach um over kind of trying to continue down this path um, based on the original assumption we had made i think i think the best way to that i think about you know pivoting or, you know, this game of, of product development and speed to data is, I think you really have to be disciplined at setting a, a, a timeline. Like at the end of Q1, we are going to make a decision on the features we want to explore in the, in the next quarter. You know, like if you're, if you're not disciplined about that, things just keep bleeding on and then you're, you're losing track of like, well, you know, what are we, what are we aiming for? So um, a lot of times our projects are kind of artificially sort of limited by, you know, the scope that we propose and the budget our clients have. But I think that's also, you know, that helps, you know, to like really drive to the data that they need to decide whether should they pivot or should they keep going? Should they go to their management and say, look, this is looking like it will work. We want to do another three months, six months, nine months, assuming this, this architecture. Absolutely. And I think, that's an important kind of thing that we've learned. And I, I know our clients or a lot of the projects we worked on. Yeah. It's appreciated that, you know, we, we can kind of as a group collectively direct in each of those directions. Um, just because, you know, it, it, depending on where you need to be, as you said, like you got to make decisions at some point and sometimes it's really hard. You have to make those assumptions. So it's just kind of keeping track of those and being able to revisit those, um, is really, really valuable to the overall trajectory of a project. Great. All right. Let's talk about something uh, very near and dear to your heart. Uh, uh, RevMedica does claim to be a much more sustainable platform than, than their competitors, you know, with their reusable uh, power, battery power pack. 
um, and you're not throwing away something you know, with batteries in it, for example. Um, you know, can you just share? We didn't, and again, we didn't talk about that much with, in the episode, but can you just you lead the sustainability sort of initiative, Keytech Green? Can you just talk a little bit about um, you know either what's going on at, here at Keytech or kind of just your thoughts as you look at projects when um, thinking about sustainability? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's certainly near and dear to my heart. So you know, at Keytech Green, which is uh, something I kind of me and a, a a fellow you know group of people at Keytech Run is we're we're trying to look across the board at sustainability. Both you know how are we ourselves wasting a lot and shipping too much, and do we really need overnight shipping every time we get a McMaster box? Um, to also like how can we encourage and build designs that are just as effective but not creating as much waste and and that's something that you know we're starting to think about more and i feel like i have noticed as i've been looking at newer projects in recent years i have felt this kind of shift a little bit more into that is a that is a question on people's minds and i'm i'm really excited about that i'm really excited that this seems to be you know not just a oh it would be nice but like some people are coming to us with the you no know, this this must be the durable component that can't move to a disposable and and things like that to try and reduce this waste and so i'm just really excited that this is a pat like this is a kind of a an input that are coming to us from clients uh, more and more so it's really exciting to see revmedica kind of take that and you know build that as a platform pro you know and a selling point and i i do see kind of you know, that's a really exciting thing for, you know, the medical industry, which has, you know, got a lot of disposables across it. When I hear sustainability, I, I put my entrepreneur hat on and, and I think like, you know, any product out there, like how can you make this product, this workflow, this user experience more sustainable, you know, sustainable, from, like the, the real definition of sustainability, like environmental sustainability, not necessarily a sustainable, you know, burn rate or something like that. But like, I think if you, if you look at any product with that lens, all of a sudden this whole world of sort of ideas are, you know, c come about, I, I, I think. So I think we're going to be seeing more platforms that are pushing you know, sustainability like RevMedica, you know, maybe it's, it's not necessarily a step change, but it's, it's an equal product. But if you, if you can show that or prove that that, that that the approach is more sustainable, I think you will get more customers. And it's not just the product, it's the whole supply chain um, you know, to, to get there. That's my challenge to all 12 listeners of you out there is to think of products in a more sustainable light and you might find some ideas there, so. Yeah. Well, hey, any other, any other uh, high level thoughts on you know, adding functionality to on-market products? Um, I mean, that's, where innovation comes from, I guess, but just any other thoughts? I think we've kind of covered a lot of them, but really that it, it, it feels like there's so much power in knowledge and there's so much power in that feedback that, you know, we're just starting to touch the surface, like what Revmatica is trying to do with providing feedback to users. Um, there's just so much power in it and, you know, our processes and things, but that kind of path to, to market and the kind of the, the major things of like getting it in a workflow that people already feel comfortable with or disrupting the workflow in only positive ways is a really big challenge. And then, you know, having something to compare to is, is really hard. Um, so I think those are just the main takeaways, but it's, it's really exciting to see. And I think, you know, the more we have that capability to just see what's going on, you know, I think 
can only be better. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the it's a similar um, story to like the surgical robots that are out there where, yeah, you're getting these products with additional sensing out in the field and there's a, there's a market for it. But what they're really doing is that, you know, they're collecting all this data that that will then inform even more features and better outcomes and things like that. So I think we're like, I try to think of a, not a web 3.0 analogy, but, you know, product development, probably 5.0 at this point, but like, you know <laughs> what I mean? We're getting the electronics out there that didn't exist before. And, and then there's going to be this whole other wave of, you know, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence layered on top of these products, guiding users, um, you know, to you know, uh, perform their procedures, you know, just better. Yeah, no, and that's a really awesome direction. And it's just, it's going to take time, as you said, to kind of, we're getting the sensors in there to collect the data. And, you know, even if these first implementations, because we are trying to do both assess and provide the data, you know, I think iteration is going to be important, but yeah, that, that next gen is coming and it's going to come in and it's, it's going to, you know, really help, I think with that qualitative quantitative measurement. Awesome. Okay. Thanks everybody. That's it for episode 15. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks. Thanks.